the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty. We're coming to you on November 28th, 2022, just a few days after Thanksgiving. And we are very thankful to be able to talk uh, about school choice with uh, Executive Director of the North Carolina uh, Coalition for Charter Schools, uh, Linda Lynn Cacadelis. Uh, let's uh, jump right into it. Uh, charter schools, boy, I tell you, uh, school choice, all, all of these things are so important to the show. And so we love it whenever we're able to get a guest to talk a little bit more about that and to promote that uh, uh, these ideas on school choice because they're so important to changing the direction that things are going in the country and to promoting liberty. Um, so as uh, far as that goes, uh, let's find out a little bit more uh, about what's going on in uh, North Carolina and with the North Carolina Coalition for Charter Schools. And, and uh, Linda Lynn, can you tell us a little bit about your efforts there and um, what are some of the, uh, uh, I, I guess, uh, activities and the, the mission of, of the North Carolina Coalition for Charter Schools? Sure, Jason. Thanks for having me on with you guys today. Thank um, you. The Thank North you. Carolina, coming. Well, it's my pleasure. The North Carolina Coalition for Charter Schools serves member charter schools by keeping our stakeholders actively informed about legislative issues. We advocate for equal charter school funding and we seek autonomy of charter schools, both at the statutory and regulatory level. We have about 209 charter schools in North Carolina. Uh, I think we've opened a few more recently and we're right at that level. Uh, the cap was raised in 2011. So you can see, and that was a cap of a hundred. So we've doubled our charter school since the cap was raised and our charter school law was passed in 1995. We have 140,000 students attending charter schools throughout the state and 75,000 on waiting list. Um, our latest activity, I guess it's been the election. Um, we are not a C3, we are a C6. So we can get actively involved in the elections and we did so this past November. In the North Carolina House, we recommended 71 races. Out of those races, 25 of them were uncontested, but 38 races that we recommended won. Um, there were eight races that we actively got involved in. And I'll tell you a little bit about what actively getting involved means. Six of those races we won, two of those we lost, but the Republicans in the North Carolina House fell one seat short of a supermajority. In the Senate, we recommended 31 races. 13 of them were uncontested, but 16 races that we recommended won. There were uh, four races that we actively got involved in. Three of those races we won, and the North Carolina Senate now has a supermajority for the next two years. Um, by actively involved, what I mean is we did what they call geofencing around charter schools, uh, hopefully capturing stakeholders that are, are that visit charter schools. We sent out 1.4 million digital ads and we targeted 76,800 unique voters. 
There were two extremely contested races, one in the House, one in the Senate. We sent out over 18,000 text messages to get the vote out. Um, but but we were very excited to have that kind of, of winning uh, victory here in North Carolina to see what we can further push in the in the charter school movement in our state. So, Linda, Lynn, did, did, do you guys find uh, are you finding that your message is more resonated resonating with parents since the um, the COVID pandemic? I mean, there yes, have been yes. a lot of issues uh, as a result of the pandemic. Are you guys finding finding this? It definitely. In fact, uh, the, the numbers have just been released by our Department of Public Instruction uh, showing that the district schools have declined in enrollment uh, since between 2019 and 2022, while charter schools grew 6.4% between 21 and 22. But since uh, 2019, we've had a 19.2% increase in enrollment. And again, while district schools are losing enrollment. And that's also true for homeschooling and private schools. We're seeing uh, enrollment increases in all of those areas. Okay. Um, I, I had a quick question for you, too. You talked about the geofencing uh, mm -hmm. going on. And, and so it's targeting those areas around schools. Um, is it mostly parents that you're having success with? Because like, I know as a, as a parent, it seems like, you know, th these are the issues that hit you right mm -hmm. in the face as far as, you know, how well you think the public school is doing. But if, you know, since there's an awful lot of voters who aren't parents, uh, or at least aren't parents currently, um, or I guess have active kids that <laughs> they're sending to school, um, are, are those uh, harder to reach? Or are, do you have success with all the people that you are, are messaging to? We have success with everyone uh, if it's phrased the right way uh, in the fact that do, should is the child more important than the system? Should parents, should families have that option? And, and that resonates with everyone. However, interesting enough, targeting the parents and letting them know how fragile charter schools are and school choice overall, but it's fragile, it's politically fragile. And when they become aware of that, then they get their sphere of influence voting. And so what we have found, if we can get the parents active and motivated and, and, and hitting their sphere of influence, then it just multiplies our efforts. Okay. So where, 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 are, you, where are you guys finding your biggest resistance? Is it the teachers unions? Yes, but North Carolina is a right to work state. So our the North Carolina Association of Educators brags that, oh, we're not a union. We're not a union. But they are the affiliate of the NEA here. And the only thing that they don't do is collective bargaining. But they smell like a union. They quack like a union. They're basically a union. Uh, but they, you know, we're a right to work state. And and and, and just trying to hit the myths. I mean, the, the, they're... Um, Grassroots efforts are just unbelievable. And there's some counties where the we don't have a charter school. And so, you know, and, and in those counties, the district school system is the largest employer. And, and oh. so that's our big fight is taking care of the myths that are put out by the union. Hmm. Could, you, could, you, could you give us one example of, of the myths that, it, that the unions put out? I, I, there's four major ones, but one is that we drain money from the district schools. 
We, oh. we don't drain money. We take a child. The money follows the child. And that's yes. what they don't like. They, they want money to follow a system, not money following a child. In North Carolina, we have an allotment model of funding. And so we're one of seven states that still funds systems. And we're trying to move to student funding so that the money will follow the child. Right now, charter schools get the last research we found out was about 73 cents on the dollar for the local funding. Our state funding is closer, but our local funding is not. Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's it sounds like from the numbers you talked about, about all the, the raising the cap and uh, adding more charter schools and many kids on the waiting list that k- people are certainly seem to be voting with their feet that that's the way they want to go with their kids. But are there other metrics of success that uh, uh, that you can point to or or are there things that you can cite as far as a performance comparison that might help people in, in figuring out whether charter schools are right for them or or uh, and, and all well. Okay, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I wanted to expand a little bit on on exactly what a charter school is too, compared to other. Uh, what, yeah, let's get into that first. What makes charter schools different from just the regular public schools? Well, charter schools are public schools that are governed by a board, a nonprofit board that are pulled together. They're not elected, but a, a nonprofit board. Uh, fills out an application, which is not for the faint of heart, and they file that application with the Department of Public Instruction. The State Board of Education then gives the approval and and gives the charter to that nonprofit board, and then the nonprofit board will, will run the charter school. Now, in North Carolina, we have what we call education management organizations, Uh, or charter management organizations, and they are either for-profit or not-for-profit management companies that the nonprofit board hires as a vendor. They're just a vendor, and they can run a charter school. Some of the national ones that you may know about are National Heritage Academies, uh, Charter One out of Arizona. Uh, We have Charter Schools USA, and then we have some homegrown EMOs. Uh, Classical Charter Schools of America is a homegrown uh, management company. They have four schools in the state, but um, but anyway, that nonprofit board then is responsible for starting the school and running the school. And uh, we're the statute in North Carolina is is really good. We are considered we're on a a performance model of accountability and not a rules based accountability model, which means that. We are reviewed, charter schools are reviewed annually on their governance, their operations, their finance, and their performance. If they are found non-compliant in any of those areas, then the charter school is shut down. And we we don't have a problem shutting bad schools down. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, bad restaurants go out of business. Uh, bad district schools never go out of business. Right. Bad charter schools go out of business. Yeah, but the the um the, with now the closest thing we have to to universal school choice we have in Arizona, which came into effect recently. Are you all, is it is it your goal to try to get this in in North Carolina? Is to have something like that where we have some sort of universal school choice? Is that is that the hope and the dream of 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 your organization? 
Now that that is a hope and a dream of citizens of North Carolina. My organization strictly focuses on charter schools, but in North Carolina, we have a, a larger organization called Parents for Educational Freedom in, in our state. PEFNC is the website. And that organization is, is heavily involved in getting something passed like what was in Arizona, where the money follows the child. And we do have opportunity scholarships, um, but they are for lower income families. But that is increasing every year. And that is a separate line item in our budget. That's not included education dollars. That was a whole new program that was started. Uh, I think it was started uh, around 2018. No, you know, I, I, uh, I, think, I have a. Oh, sorry. Go, go uh, ahead, Tim. I just just a quick question and uh, kind of <laughs> piggyback on your previous one about uh, the differences between the regular schools and charter schools. If I was a child uh, and I was going uh, to a charter school, how would that be different for me in my experience and my potential for learning between a charter school and a regular school? Charter schools are usually smaller. Charter schools, a, a, a student can cross county lines. So it has nothing to do with your zip code. Where a district school, in many cases, they will have a magnet school program, but you're assigned to a school based on your zip code. Uh, charter schools are all schools of choice. And so going back to my analogy of, of bad restaurants, if, if a nonprofit board has a great idea, wants to start a charter school, but they can't get any parents to send their children, they go out of business. So charter schools have to listen to their customer, which is the family, the mom and the dad, where your district schools, um, I'm, I've only known a few to what we would say, go out of business, get shut down. And that's because of regener uh, the gentrification of neighborhoods and there's just not enough kids and they'll consolidate schools. But you never hear of a district school going shut, being shut down because of their performance. Where right. in charter schools, we will shut them down if they cannot perform at least as good as uh, as well as the uh, district school that they reside in. You know, I, I thought that was interesting, too, when, you know, you mentioned about the zip code tyranny, I guess, you know, of, of this is where you have to go to school because this is just where you're from. I, I think it was Heritage or somebody put out a, a little video analogy that I thought was great. If, if most people kind of get the uh, analogy that suppose we did food this way, you know, and that uh, uh, we had a yeah. government cafeteria in every district and you had to get all your food from there, you know, <laughs> so, and don't worry. The experts told us it was good food. So you just go there and <laughs> that's your, yeah, well, that's that's your I, I, I had a real, what I call a branding experience, you know, something you'll never forget. While I was serving on the Charlotte Mecklenburg Board of Education, I'll never forget a parent that came in and was graciously but assertively sharing how the, the schools was not meeting his child's need needs. And my board chair at that time talked, you know, was explaining how everyone sitting at the table there, all members of the Board of Education, cared deeply for the 140,000 students that were in the school system. The parent listened. And then when my board chair got finished talking about how much we cared about the students, and we did, we did care about the 140,000 students. The parent said, well, since you care so much, could you please tell me the name of my child? <laughs> 
There was dead silence. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the boardroom that night. I imagine the best they could do is, well, your child is number 122,330. <laughs> there was a silence by my board chief. I mean, literally, it was microphone drop time. And the parent just said, thank you very much. And, yeah. and went and sat down. And I'm sure that parent withdrew his child the next day. <laughs> yeah, you know, th th this is one of the things I think a lot of people get sort of hoodwinked about is the idea that so somehow the government, I, I guess, is more responsive and caring more about the individual as if magically somehow administrators in government, you know, have this personal connection with everyone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and I will say, as one member of the Board of Education, I was doing the best I could to, to make decisions 440,000 students. Yes. But that doesn't take into account at all the individual child. And you see, usually with, I'm sorry. No, you, Usually with these bureaucracies, you know, you're talking about 140,000 kids. The, the best these bureaucracies can do is one size fit all. And those one size fit all never works for individuals because usually you have a, a smart kid, you know, a brilliant kid who should be pushed ahead or a kid who is probably a little bit lagging behind who needs a little bit of special attention. You have these sort of things. But when you have a large bureaucracy deemed 140,000 kids, there's no way you can serve the needs of all of those children. And yeah. this is a real problem with the, with the public schools as it is presently structured. And that's why I think your organization and organizations like, like yours need to do more work in terms of getting money to follow children so parents can be making these choices. And I think, I really do think the trends in our country are going that way despite the teachers unions. And, and I tell my friends in the education establishment that, you know, get the palpitation of heart when you start talking about money following a child. I mean, they just freak out. You know, when I was growing up, we're not going to talk about age, okay? We just won't talk about age. But when I was growing up, we had chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream. And if you were, you know, really lucky, you could get Neapolitan. Well, right now, we have Chunky Monkey ice cream. Um, if, if, but vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry have not gone away. They've gotten better. We have creamy mm. vanilla, homemade vanilla, vanilla bean vanilla ice cream. And, and the same thing with TV channels. When I was growing up, we had ABC, NBC, CBS. Yes. Well, now we have the golf channel. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, just take a chill pill and relax. But I think we are going to see all kinds of educational, especially since COVID. We're going to see all kinds of educational providers uh, pop out. And, and I think that's a good thing to happen because it, it will meet the unique needs of children or families will leave. It also, I believe, helps with what you know, whether your curriculum is, is going to have a more liberal bent or a more conservative bent, the, the parent can make that choice for their child and, and not have um, what sometimes the liberals think everybody needs. You yes. know, we want this kind of social studies. Well, no, some parents want history and geography. They don't want social studies. They want mm -hmm. Latin to begin in fourth grade. We have some classical uh charter schools they literally begin latin in fourth grade yeah 
And, you know, I, I loved your analogy, too, with the ice cream, because I, I always think of it, too, as like, you know, you, you'd be a miracle if you go through a school cafeteria and you actually have a choice on an ice cream day of more than one flavor of ice cream. And, and yet, you know, like we have 31 flavors in the public or in the private sector, rather, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's just like would be, uh, you know, blow a bureaucrat's mind to think that they had to select 31 flavors that the public might like. <laughs> when, when, as an, as an elected official, I always felt the pressure, and I told my colleagues, we need to err on the side of freedom and take care of abuses. Yes. We, instead yes. of trying to make rules and regulations to take care of all the abuses, you will never make enough rules and regulations. But we need to err on the side of freedom and then take care of the problems. Uh, I, I like that. I like what you just said, and I think I'm going to steal it. I wouldn't give you any credit, but I think I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Good. Fine with me. Well, if you're not giving any credit, that'd make you an awful lot like Joe Biden. <laughs> but, you know but you remember what Reagan said. If we really don't care who gets credit, we can get a lot accomplished. There you go. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Linda Lynn, I, I have a question I, I like to ask of every guest who comes on the show because, uh, and, and this is tied largely into the way our schools are set up as well, but uh, a lot of us don't get any sort of training on the importance of liberty or any of that uh, as we come through the school system. A lot of times it's because, you know, I, I think uh, the schools are generally run by government and the idea that, uh, you know, solutions should be government solutions often is what's taught, you know, in, in a lot of the schools. And um, so a lot of us, it's like we're really slow to waking up to liberty uh, as, as we, for me, I was in my 30s, I think, before I even found Milton Friedman. What was it that woke you up to some of these issues, you know, of, of liberty? Uh, you know, what rang your liberty bell, I guess? <laughs> Having children. And seeing how different they were, there's not one child alike and they have unique needs. And then serving mm -hmm. on the Charlotte Mecklenburg Board of Education for a couple of terms. Um, I think that really opened my eyes in the dedicated people that work within the system, but their hands are tied. Right. And, and, and then I was able to uh, be the executive director of the Children's Scholarship Fund in Charlotte. And we had private money at that time. And uh, I helped over 400 families find the best niche for their child, whether it was homeschooling, whether it was a private education. It was real interesting. One time we, I had a, a, a family who the mom and dad passed away. The children had to go live in another county and they needed to stay in their school. That was the only stabilizing uh, entity they had in their life. And we were mm -hmm. able to pay the local money for the district school for the children to be able to stay in their district school, even though they lived in another county. And at that point in time, I said, the money needs to follow the child. And right. it, it really boils down to this. Which is more important, the system or the child? And I'll always fall on the side of the child. So this, this concept of the money the money following the child, which which I think is, is is a beautiful and wonderful thing if you can get it fully implemented. But do you think we are we are we are getting that message across? Do you think uh, we are really and truly? I mean, as parents really starting to wake up to this idea? Are they seeing the failures in the public schools as they should? Because I thought I think the COVID really illuminated a lot of things. It but did. are the parents really waking up? Do you think? 
I, I think they are. I think we're seeing the tipping point happen in some states. You mentioned Arizona for one. We see it in Florida. School choice is booming and, and parents are beginning to understand that it is a political decision. Um, I think, you know, it used to be that that your your neighborhood school was like apple pie, Chevrolet and motherhood and you'd never go against it. Um, but I think now parents are going, wait a minute, what, what's wrong with me having a choice in my child's education? What's wrong with them listening to the customer? I mean, that's what the teachers unions don't want to do. They don't want to listen to the customer. That's that's why they were, you know, labeling parents terrorists at school board meetings. Yes. Well, the parents felt like they had to do that to get their voice heard. Well, at a charter school, if you get enough point parents to leave, the business model collapses, which is a great thing. Uh, another branding experience I had with uh, being on the Board of Education, one of my colleagues, when I, I was showing them by our decisions, we were having empowered parents were leaving. They were quietly leaving. leaving. I had the trend lines. And that was before we had any kind of opportunity scholarship or any other choice in North Carolina and uh, before charter schools even. And I had one of my colleagues looked at me and said, quote, I don't give a damn. Let them leave. Wow. Well, if that's your mentality, <laughs> how do you how do you have any choice? How do you have any chance of influencing the system? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's terrible, especially if they think they can just keep the money. Uh, Linda Lynn, uh, you know, as we're getting close to the end of the show here, and by the way, Lynn, we forgot to put up the uh, website. Can you uh, share the website real quick? Yes, the website. Um, it, it, okay, Lynn, he's doing that. Uh, it's uh, org. Okay. And and so, Linda Lynn, did you want to share with us any, uh, I guess, uh, in the end here, any challenges your organization is facing? And are there any messages, too, that you'd like to leave our audience with uh, as we wrap up? I think our biggest challenge, like I said, is taking care of the myths. And like I mentioned, one, uh, that charter schools drain money from the system. No, they uh, take a child and the money follows the child. Uh Charter schools uh, don't academically perform as well. No, that's a myth. They perform as well or better, or they get shut down. Charter schools are resegregating. No, charter schools are a school of choice. You cannot deny the enrollment of a charter of a student based upon their race. Um, I could go on, but charter schools are the first line of, I think, defense when people go after school choice. And so that's why we all need to, when you're in the grocery store, when you're at the beauty shop, make education an issue and talk about school choice. And, and that's what it's going to take for that tipping point to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really seems like, uh, you know, school choice, if we really want change in the country, uh, it, it has to start there. That just seems like such a foundational, pivotal issue. If we really want to change the messages and, and the thinking, it's just, uh, you know, seems to be stuck in people's mind on the current course. I mean, you know, we have $31 trillion of debt in the country and nobody even talks about it. You know, it's, it's just like it's not there. And it's, uh, you know, I think we're starting to hit the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, and the teachers unions are really, are really, uh, I mean, getting in the way of us, of us properly educating the next generation. And the next generation is where the leaders of our great land is supposed to come from. And the teachers unions are out there every day trying to stop pro progress. It's, it's horrible. 
Leon, you're exactly right. And if we do not start educating our, our populace, if we do not start educating them to read and write and logically think, uh, then we will lose our country. Yeah, indeed. And that's a that's a great note to leave it on. It's a sad note, but it's a, it's a hopefully an inspiring note that, hey, we, we, we really got to get something done here. But thanks so much today for joining us, Linda Lynn. And uh, we're actually going to have you on another podcast where we can talk about some other educational related uh, issues. So if you're listening to this, go check out that podcast as well. Uh, thanks so much. And we will see you next time. Until then, stay free. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.